What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 56 of the Michigan. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Betting and boozing here on the HHH Racing Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Kyle Roscoe. And what an unbelievable week we have had so far, guys. As most of you guys know, I am, of course, a Michigan fan. So a huge win for the boys on Monday. I have to get out of the way with Charlie off the screen so he doesn't have the chance to yell at me. We'll get there eventually. But I want to give a nice shout out to the boys. Finally, we did something and finally. We won, but in any words, we have a very special show for you guys tonight. Not only are we covering the late pick five at Tampa Bay Downs coming up on Saturday with three state with three very nice stakes races, not the biggest fields, but some pretty um, good competition. But we're also covering every single NFL playoff game this weekend with in-depth analysis with the our very special guest, Matt Bernier, who's the who's um graciously accepted our invite to come on and talk about because if many of that many of you don't know not only does he does he does he do such a great job covering horses he covers he has um models and all this type of stuff for nfl picks and sports betting in general so we are very happy to have him on this show and you guys will be as well that's coming up in about half an hour but real quick guys we're going to go through the peripherals real quick here if you see scrolling at the bottom of the side of the screen you see my email there betting at gmail.com email me with anything uh questions comments concerns also below the video player please go down below hit subscribe and hit the like button as it is the best way to help out our channel down below you'll see the next show it's tomorrow at 8 p.m eastern and it's going to be howard pete and paul covering the california cup day at santa anita on saturday and that includes five stakes races they're going to cover that late pick for you guys tomorrow at 8 p.m eastern that's thursday do not miss it and one final thing if you guys missed it on monday night we have a brand new show that came out episode one came out this monday if you haven't watched it please go watch it after this show it's a recap of the entire weekend and also topical discussion on horse racing. For those of you that are long-term fans of the podcast, you recognize a face. Jim Pilars was on there with Pete and uh, Howard. If you guys want to go check that out after the show, please do. It would, we would greatly appreciate it. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, of course, as you guys know, is where you find every single episode that gets posted to the HHH Racing Podcast channel in audio form. Please go check that out. The power picks, guys, still on fire. We're going into 2024 strong through almost two and a half uh, years of picks. That's almost 500 picks in total. We have, oh, um, we're pretty far over the positive ROI mark, and we're still going strong, like I said. Patreon.com slash HHH Racing Podcast for those. Link is also in the description. And if you want to check out previous editions or you want to know all about us, HHHRacingPodcast.com is the place to do that but guys like i said we're gonna go pretty quick here without further ado i'm gonna bring on my two co-hosts for the evening and not the special guest but another very special guest to talk about something very important so from the west coast west coast bias himself noah maher and from now i believe back at school to the team that sat on the couch this week charlie freeman and the not the sem i'll call him a semi-special guest it's the boss himself howard kravitz boys what's going on how you doing, Kyle? What's up, guys? Always good, man. Always good. I'm sure Charlie's good, too. <laughs> I've been better. <laughs> yeah, I, I ripped up my ticket uh, yesterday. It yeah. wasn't, wasn't a lot of fun, but con honestly, congratulations to all the Michigan fans and you, Kyle. They, they were well-deserved victory in a very physical uh, game. That was sort of weird, but that's for another day. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, look, I enjoyed I, 
ever since 10 minutes into the first or five minutes into the first quarter, I and I was enjoying myself for sure. I get a little bit scared when it got, you know, 17 10 at the end of the first half and Michigan didn't have any offense since those two big runs. But towards the end, the defense won in the end and really banged up uh, Panics Jr., which, of course, is the key to victory. And that's what I talked about on the show before. But, Howard, like I said, you have something very important to talk about. Yeah, real quick, uh, and then I don't want to take up too much time. You guys got a great show lined up. First of all, I want to just congratulate you guys because uh, one year from tomorrow's date, January 11th, 2023, was episode one of this show, Ben and Boozin. Guys, in life, you have to take some chances. You have to take risks, unlike the Bears who are rehiring their coach and probably being able to bring back Justin Fields. Anyway, I took a gamble, Kyle, on you specifically, and on Charlie and Patrick, and then eventually Noah, all you 20-something. Wait, let me check the calendar. Yes, Noah, 20-something, guys. Um, took a chance on all you guys, and I, I'll tell you what, I'm just really proud. I'm really proud of you guys. I just want to say congratulations for one year. You come a long way. I watched some old episodes, and uh, it takes time. This this podcasting is not easy. If anyone no. thinks it's easy, yeah. go ahead and try it yourself, not only with the knowledge, but the text. So anyway, congratulations to you guys. And the last thing I really want to say is, uh, specific to Kyle and Charlie, do you know the first race that you guys ever handicapped on this show? Oh, Don't my God. It up. I... Don't it up. Do you know the track? I... My, my my gut feeling would be Gulfstream. I That's what I was going to say, too. I would Gulfstream. say it has to be Gulfstream. The January 13th Friday card at Gulfstream. It was race six. It was a seven furlong dirt main special weight Florida bread race. Fantastic. Kyle, do you know who you picked? No clue. Not the a, clue. A, horse called the Coz, a horse called Cozeris. I don't know if that name sounds familiar. Charlie, do you know who you picked? Not a clue. <laughs> a horse named Adios Papa Chico, I know, I know that horse. And and Patrick picked a horse called Diamond Cool to win mm. the race. Now, do, do you guys know what I happened? Remember that because I looked it up. I think sure Diamond Cool won the race, if I remember I correctly. So, so, Patrick was exactly right. Nothing yep. has changed, of course. Oh yeah, of Diamond course. Cool oh. won it two to one. See. Charlie, do you know where your horse finished? No clue, but I'm happy I didn't go chalky. A decent third, and Kyle appropriately <laughs> his horse was scratched. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Wait, little, 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 little backstory. Of course, Noah wasn't part of the show at that time. But anyway, guys, congratulations on one year. Everyone, please congratulate them in the chat. I know you got a great show. Patrick, by the way, is working tonight. His last night working for the New York Giants late. He does work for them, so he might come in later. But anyway, guys, thanks a lot. Thanks for allowing me to be on the show tonight. Another, not one year, another four, five, ten, twenty more Let's years. Let's do it, man. Really appreciate you guys. Love you. Have a great show. Take care. Thanks, Howard. Really appreciate that. Thank you. I yeah, one year tomorrow, and of course, hey, I I'll take the fact my horse was scratched, and I believe I picked Diamond Cool on top after that. So you both picked the chalk, and I of course okay. I had to go to the well. Yeah, well, you finished a respectable third. Look, we have come a long way, guys, and um, this will be really quick, of course, and I am really proud of you guys as well because, you know. Um, obviously, I have to cut all the buttons and stuff, but still just being in front of the camera and talking about your opinions, you know, coherently and all this stuff is not easy to do. So if you go back and watch those early episodes, guys, it's pretty rough. I will be honest. It's funny. With you. It's, it's, funny. It's, it's pretty funny. Honestly, you just got to laugh, right? You can't like bang yourself up about what happened a year ago. It's just really it's got to laugh along with it. But we've come a long way and I'm really proud of you guys 
as well. Thank you guys so much in the chat. Uh, Jim Pollard's smoggy. Jim Pollard's is back in the oh chat now after so long. I'm back. He says, for better or for worse, completed the Wednesday night assignment. Let's do it, Jim. Again, one of the good friends of the podcast and was on horsing around on Monday night. If you miss Smoggy's here, of course, Penn State Scott's here and Ryan Day's going to Alabama. That would be that would put Charlie in bliss, and I really don't want to see that. I would love to keep Ryan Day I at Ohio State. Ruined. Oh, no. I would love to see just Ryan like five more years of Ryan Day at Ohio State, just so Michigan can win five more years, and then I don't care what happens. After. Well, I do, but you know, down the line, it is that's a future Kyle problem, is what I like to say. But guys, we're gonna get right into it here, guys. Thank you guys all so much in the chat as well. Please continue to comment. Your opinions, if you guys haven't have looked at this card already for Tampa Bay Downs or you're looking along with us and you have any questions or you know opinions, please put them in the chat as we go along. But there's three stakes on the card. It starts in race number six, the late pick five. We're going to go through the two non-stakes really quickly, guys. Not too much. If you guys want to see our full final opinions, please follow us on Twitter. You can see uh, mine and Charlie's handle. Noah's is just Noah and then the first four letters of his last name. We post all our picks on Twitter the day of. So if you guys want full final picks, please go follow us on X or Twitter. But anyway, we're going to talk about the stakes in depth um, and the non-stakes not so much in depth, but as we can get quickly to Matt Bernier here. But race number six, guys, is the wayward last stakes. It's a field of six. It's a $50,000 stake um, going a mile to 16th on the dirt for Phillies and Mares, for older Phillies and Mares, that is. And I bring up the Equibase screen right now. There it is, guys. A field of six. Morning line favorite. Probably, I would I would be reminisced. I would be very surprised if it was not the number two. Lieben for Edgar Zayas and Safi Joseph. Edgar making this trip over to Tampa Bay for this card. And, of course, Safi brings one over here. Magical Loot will be pretty close. I'd say it's probably second choice. It's probably going to be the number four dream concert for Gallardo and Kathleen O'Connell. And then Camacho and Ian Wilkes brings up third choice. And I bring up the picks right now, guys. Race number six, you'll see we are going with the number two, Leban. And there's there's a very good reason. I'm going to put to Charlie first here um, as you're, set, you know, you're first on the picks. But there's a pretty good reason why we like Leban all on top. Yeah, you know, last time out, she had a pretty dominant victory. And, you know, that's now three pretty convincing victories in a row after a not-ideal debut. Not terrible, but, you know, was bet down heavy. But now is kind of, you know, brushed off the fraud allegations, doesn't look like a money burner, and has been able to win dominantly, you know, has been great with Edgar Zayas, had a good one with Irad as well. Uh, as you mentioned, obviously, the invader from Gulfstream, which always means the horse will be taking money. Uh, Zayas coming over there across as well with, uh, you know, Safi Joseph Jr., who, you know, obviously the two of them are more Gulfstream-oriented. So I think that's the main reason we all turned attention. The figures obviously show it, too. And I just think, honestly, the distance won't be a problem at all. I think if you just look at this other field, there's some other horses that have some decent numbers. But I just think this two-horse, she's very clearly the best. Yeah. And Noah, I mean, going to, I mean, there's, there is some speed in this race, which, of course, can be your concern. I just, I mean, I don't know if she's, like, faster than a lot of these fillies, but as some of them are coming from sprinting, such as like dream concert coming from six and a half and seven furlongs. Just, I mean, just the class of her and she's ever improving. She just looks the best. Yeah. There are a few horses uh, in the race that are coming from the sprints, like you said. Um, so I think, you know, coming from that sprint naturally, they will be a little bit faster. Um, I just think if there's one horse in the field that can, you know, sit off and go by, I kind of just think it's her. Um, and I also thought, you know, she's, you know, with those wins and the progression, I just think she has the most upside in here. 
Uh, the only two I was really in between on the win end were the two and the four. Um, yeah. Which you but kind of back to my yeah, but kind of back to my point. I would I would rather you know have a horse going from a mile to a mile and sixteenth, and from seven to a mile and sixteenth, especially with the four who hasn't gone any further than seven furlongs. So that was kind of why I leaned toward putting Liban on top. I don't. Yeah, I mean, look, it, I don't know if Liban is necessarily going to be able to stalk necessarily, although. She has shown the ability to press in the past, so maybe she has a chance to rate, but just so much upside as you touched on, Noah, as opposed to, obviously, Dream Concert has had a, a really good run of it in, in nine races. She only has four, and she's already pretty much, she's already beaten that buyer top of Dream Concert. So Liban is definitely going to be my pick on top, if she, especially if she continues to improve off that 84. And as we touched on, is the Aqueduct... I believe the aqueduct is that two turns. It's two. It's a two-turn mile at aqueduct, isn't it? If I, oh no, it is a one-turn mile. Yeah. Oh, no, that was Belmont at the Big A. Excuse me. Yeah, of course. It's if it's Belmont, of course it's a one-turn mile. But um, you know, coming from a one-turn mile, as you said, Noah, to of course first time on two turns. Same thing with Dream Concert. But coming from that mile distance and doing it so like effortlessly, not not necessarily effortlessly, but driving the whole way home, not necessarily getting weirdly in the weary in the legs. It looks like in the replay, I'm definitely more, um, more forward to taking a horse like live next to dream concert, not saying that dream concert can't get the mile and the 16th, but there's definitely a little bit more form towards live and Charlie, I'll go to you magical loot or no, sorry. No, I'll let you touch on magical loot as you have the horse in third as I have the horse in second. This is mine. I mean, realistically, if the pace falls apart and if there's so much speed in front, this is mine. Yeah, that's pretty much the thought process here. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot of the speed is to the inside. So in, in terms of, you know, being, you know, placed on the outside, I don't think, you know, she should be affected early. Um, if you look back um, in some of those, you know, optional 125s at uh, in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, she was a, a pretty low price. So, you know, the public thought, you know, she could get it done. Um, and in that last race, she, she did prove a little bit that she could go two turns. She was, you know, 38 to one. Um, but you know, there's going to be some pace to run at and, yep. you know, she's going to need it, but I think she's going to get it. I think the reason why I like magical loot so much, Charlie, and then we'll go on to you is, you know, this horse tried out a mile in the 16th the first time. And you could say, you know, she kind of lugged and she wasn't necessarily like a push go, type of horse but um the horse has two turn experience and just the fact of the matter that a lot of these horses are coming from sprints for the first time going two turns that might not be able to get that two turns if they go super fast early on this horse just seems like the one that's primed to go get um a pace that's something like 23 40 you know 46 and 4 47 and 1 yeah, I mean, I think if you kind of look in the past with the two and the four, they both actually, despite being more speed-oriented horses, have actually done very well going in hot paces, you know, as we've touched on with the red figures. So it certainly wouldn't surprise me if the two of them decided to just send together as the main two contenders and be able to hold up. But I actually think if the race falls apart, the horse that will benefit the most would be Soul of an Angel, or Soul of an Angel the five, who's who I put in third, and I think is actually very interesting and, you know, could get a decent price. I understand the effort last time out wasn't pretty, but if you look at pretty much every other effort, I mean, the figures certainly fit very consistent in the high 70s, even a few in the mid to high 80s, which would be great. I mean, you look at the competition, this horse has been in grade one and grade threes, has gone yeah. against Idiomatic, has gone against um, has gone against Hardy Constitution, search results, secret oaths. So, I mean, Sullivan Angels faced the hardest competition of anyone and has the highest of highs. And again, I'm not saying 
you know, that this horse, I'm not saying this horse will be able to run right back to those figures, obviously, or else we're probably, uh, you know, Sullivan Angel would probably be in tougher fields. But again, for a horse that is a true closer that, again, this pace could potentially very well set up nicely and has, you know, shown performances that this horse maybe could run back to and has gone against much tougher. I think Sullivan Angel, you get a decent price here and could certainly surprise or at least pick up the pieces underneath at a price. I can, I mean, look, I completely agree with you. Five and the six underneath for sure in a pay, in a race where there's a lot of sprinters going to set the pace and what looks like it could melt down. But Leban, Leban is definitely the horse with the most upside and looks to take to the two turns for sure. But five and the six underneath or even on top, like I said, at the pace melts down i'm going two six four that's liban um magical loot and then dream concert noah's going two four six uh liban dream concert magical loot and then charlie's going liban dream concert soul of an angel guys moving on to the second stakes race on the card this is for a little bit more money this is for set uh the gasparilla stakes going 100 for 125,000 going seven furlongs on the dirt this draws a little bit bigger field of eight and the morning line favorite i would assume is going to be the Safi joseph horse on the inside mystic lake second choice is going to either be the kathleen o'connell runner gervin's princess or one or um one of the two um sacco horses either copper bound or gorgeous girl and i'll switch over the picks right now guys and two of us are going with mystic lake just based on numbers alone i'm sure you guys can agree um being definitely the best in the race but noah's going a little bit other going a little bit um different path with the horse that i'm a little bit interested in. i have a horse in third the number six gorgeous girl noah you have the floor what'd you like most about gorgeous girl yeah well first of all mystic lake is you know i just She's probably going to, you know, wire this field because just because I don't really see a ton of speed in here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's a horse on the rail and they just turned three. I don't know. I, I'm a little inclined to kind of play against her at the price that she's going to be. Um, but with Gorgeous Girl, um, I was just a little impressed with the last race. I think it looks a little bit more on the replay than on paper. Um, yep. It does say bumped at the break. Uh, I think I thought it was a lot worse than that. She she got pinballed pretty bad. Um, and you're looking for the number two here. Yes. Yeah, is, is there a way to? Oh, you can see it at the top. Okay. Yeah, she kind of gets pinballed <laughs> from. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. You yeah, she, see her. Oh, she's just. Oh my gosh. I mean, just keeps going up. back and forth. Doink 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 doink. Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I thought it was worse than kind of what it says on paper. Um, and then if you can kind of fast forward uh, towards the end of the turn and, and into the stretch, um, the one and the three were kind of one, two the entire time. And she's the gray. She's a two horse on the outside. Um, she was really only one kind of making up ground. Um, and I, I just thought the race was a little more, you know, I thought it was a little better of an effort than it shows. Um if you uh if you go back to the pps um the horse is you know naturally progressing um you can completely toss out that that stakes race going two turns on the turf at laurel um you know second off a layoff i think you know she's getting better for a trainer who has seemed to do very well here and you get camacho aboard um so i'm gonna take a shot everything you said is what i like i mean obviously i'm a little bit interested in the horse not as much as you are on top per se but i like the horse in third for that sole fact of i mean you touched on charlie we can go to you as well man i mean 
Noah touched on it. There just seems like there's not a whole lot of speed in here. So someone like Gorgeous Girl might be able to pick up pieces and maybe even win, but just a, from a pure numbers and pace scenario, it looks like Mystic Lake has the upper hand. Yeah, and that's what kind of scared me. You know, I was really kind of torn between going with Mystic Lake and uh, my second choice, Gervin's Princess, the five, who I also think is very talented. And while I know, you know, you look two back uh, with the five, and uh, obviously in that one was kind of doing a little bit better of being like a closer up stalker and then made a move. Uh, but my just fear is, you know, I, I honestly think like you touched on, I think Mystic Lake, I mean, again, obviously it's the sappy invader. Edgar Zayas, again, isn't coming over for no reason. You really can tell this horse you know, has run against tougher competition. And I think seven furlongs is the exact distance Mystic Lake wants. And like you touched on, ultimately what scared me, uh, you know, you also have the bullet workout 46 and fours. I just think Mystic Lake's going to send and no one's going to be able to catch this horse. I, I just, I don't see who's fast enough to keep up with her. And again, you know me, especially, I mean, I, this is why I don't like sprint races. I know this isn't. So normally I'm trying to take advantage of any chance I get to take a closer. But sometimes again, as you've learned, as I've learned more with handicapping, if you just see a, a solo speed that's talented, Sometimes you just got to tip your cap and just say this horse isn't going to fade and can wire this field. And again, I know that the rail sometimes can be scary, but I think, again, with the speed discrepancy, I don't think it'll be a problem. I think as long as Mystic Lake breaks, there's really no excuse for this horse not to wire the field. I mean, look, you're not wrong. And I, the thing is the people are going to look at, you know, maybe synthetic straight horse or something like, you know, like that. Because obviously Safi sent him, sent her, excuse me, up to Woodbine to run on the synthetic and kept her up there the entire time. I think a mile 16th was just a little bit too far, although she ran pretty well, to be honest. Just uh, a track that's pretty hard in the fact that, um, you know, it's hard and it tends to be a little bit speed favoring on a, on a race where there's not a whole lot of speed at all. It, it just seemed like it really set up for Mystic Lake for me, and that's just the way I ended up going. Um, uh, Charlie, you have the number four, Runaway Diva, who second off for Maria Bowersock, um, second, uh, first time facing runner winners, excuse me, um, getting a little bit of added distance, but definitely have to take a step up. But I want you, I want you to talk about a little bit more about Gervin's princess. You kind of touched on, and then you can touch on anything about the runaway diva and then we'll move on. But Gervin's princess, I mean, two pretty impressive wins in a row. Yeah, I mean, again, very impressive. And I know we talk about the angle where I know the horses only ran three times, but running a best buyer back to back and off a little bit of a layoff, maybe a step forward is certainly possible. And uh, I will say, you know, from a trip perspective, could be ideal if, you know, this five can sit off the one and, you know, maybe do a little more pressing than stalking to like make the one work for it and then just goes around off the turn, which we see all the time in horse racing. I certainly think Durbin's Princess could surprise. I don't think you'll get a great price. I think. In my opinion, the five should be the obvious second choice, but a step forward certainly could work out. And then for me, I was just looking for a shot underneath since I saw it as a two-horse race. And I think Runaway Diva is very interesting. The horse is working forward. The horse is well-meant, certainly wasn't a cheap one, comes out of run happy. And, uh, you know, ran. I know the speed figure isn't amazing, but ran pretty convincingly kicking clear on debut at 15-1. to 1. So this was a horse that was pretty dead on the board. Um, and, you know, again, I understand now facing winners. It was a maiden race. But again, you know, we talk about how second time out these horses can take another step forward. And I don't see why Runaway Diva couldn't. And again, I feel like it's the biggest wild card in this race. And if you're, again, looking for a way to kind of try to find a horse to surprise at a price underneath or even surprise the field, I think Runaway Diva is a, a question mark in a good way. Don't disagree with you by any means. Could definitely get there. I'm going 156. Charlie's going 154. And Noah's going 615. Guys, race number eight is one of the non stakes races of the sequence. Again, we're going to go through it a little bit quicker. It's an allowance optional claiming 32,000. It's going six furlongs 
on the dirt. It's a field of eight. Morning line favorite most likely will probably be the number four flag woman for Zayas and D'Angelo is there as the Equibase right now. Um, and second choice is probably going to be the, the other D'Angelo or there's a few other horses on the outside that could take a little bit of money, but we'll move on right now. Noah ended up only giving uh, being able to cover the stakes race, so it's going to be Charlie and I here. I'm going with the two. Hi, hello, how are you? You are going with the number four flag woman. Let you go first, of course. Touch on anything you want to touch on about this race, and then um, I'll throw in my two cents and we'll move on. Yeah, I mean, again, Zayas moving over. I like the fact that he has a lot of consistency with Flag Woman. You know, he's ran with her a lot at Gulfstream and has some very solid figures. I understand it's obvious to look towards the regression. Um, but, you know, I think, honestly, this horse can improve again. I think you're getting a much easier – not much easier, but nonetheless, an easier field moving from Gulfstream over to Tampa. Uh, I just think in a race that there's a lot of question marks on it. Obviously, you know, now that we're not in the stakes race, this isn't going to be as high of competition. I'm just sort of banking on Flag Woman – you know, I'm baking on her going back to those earlier figures because, I mean, if she can get anywhere in those mid to high 70s or even low 80s, I think that's more than good enough to win this race. Um, and then I went with the three nightcap, who's an interesting one because it is always a concern when the horse isn't for the claim. I just like the consistency. Again, I mean, with Flag Woman, the concern you could argue is the horse is regressing, whereas you can kind of flip that argument with nightcap. I mean, I know there used to be obviously the 81 and 80, but then the horse seemed to be declining with the 69 and 57. But now we're starting to right the ship again and then comes off first back off a layoff and runs a decent second uh, with a 69 figure. So I just think nightcap second time out uh, could certainly take a step forward. And then uh, hi, hello, hi, hello, how are you? Um, another Gulfstream invader, another horse that has shown flashes. The big concern with me here with this horse uh, is just the inconsistency. I mean, it looks like pretty much every other race, you either get a really solid figure and, you know, the high 60s or low 70s, and then a dud in the low 50s, and you don't know what you're going to get. So obviously, you know, if you get one of those races in the high 70s, I certainly think, hi, hello, how are you? Uh, could win this race. I kind of got stuck between going with the uh, the two and the one for my uh, third horse underneath, because I think they're very similar horses where another one with awesome pick who kind of every other race either runs a really good or really bad race. Uh, so ultimately, I tried to go with the two more consistent horses on top. There's one thing that I really, really like, and I think it's this form is really dirtied up per se. That last race was a state bred stakes race. Probably not the company that this horse is meant for. Toss that one out for me. Then you go two back past that uh, good effort on the 75, going a mile at Gulfstream Park. Granted, one turn, but still pretty far. Then a mile in the 16th, two turn race on the Tapita, five and a half on the turf, five and a half on the turf, routing on the turf, routing on the Tapita, routing on the Tapita. You get the one race where this horse is sprinting on the dirt, and this horse runs its best race by far. Now, all of a sudden, you get back to going six furlongs on the dirt um, at Tampa, where you want to be forwardly placed. And I think, hi, hello, how are you? Even though doesn't necessarily need the lead, I think she's going to sit a really nice stocking trip. And I think the form just, as you said, Charlie, it seems inconsistent. But when you kind of break it down by, you know, dirt sprinting, I'm really interested in a horse like hi, hello, how are you? That might be a little bit bigger of a price because people look at the numbers and look at the form and just see this was only got one second in the last year. Yeah, but it's at this this condition with this type of uh, configuration. So I'm really interested in hi, hello, how are you in this race? But we'll move on. I'm going two, four, five. Charlie's going four, three, two. Guys, the last stakes race on the card is race number nine. The Pasco stakes going seven furlongs on the dirt. Field of seven. And this is a really nice field of seven, actually. With West Saratoga, Bookham Dano, Banded Rocket um, for Kathleen O'Connell. Crazy Mason's not that bad either. Rathmore for Albatrani. 
more than my favorite is going to definitely I'd I'd say 95% be Bookham Dano. Great name, by the way, for Marin and Ryan. West Saratoga, most likely your second choice. And Brand Banded Rocket coming off a nice maiden win will be your third choice for Kathleen O'Connell. Guys, switching over the picks right now. Noah, I'll let you go first. Look, we all have Bookham Dano on top, but we are a little bit different underneath, which is why I'm letting you go first, Noah. You have Crazy Mason underneath um, with West Saratoga, but I'm more interested, as we all have West Saratoga underneath as well, I'm more interested in what you like about Crazy Mason, but, of course, go over Bookham Dano first. Yeah, I, I just think Bookham Dano is probably the best horse in here. I mean, he hasn't really done anything wrong. Uh, started the career off with, you know, three straight wins, uh, Pretty confidently handled as well, uh, and then was the even money favorite in the Nashua. Uh, he was, you know, he was stretching out to a mile on a track that's that we all know is, you know, very tiring. Uh, and he just got caught by Where's Chris? Um, I just think the layoff and the cutback are going to be huge for him. Yeah. Uh, I just think, you know, he's probably going to have things his way uh, up front on a on a track that you already noted that is, you know, uh, plays well towards horses that are closer to the pace. Um, so I, I just thought he was going to be pretty tough in here. I agree with you. And then you'll go through Crazy Mason, and I'll let you talk about West Saratoga as well. And then, Charlie, I'll let you touch on stuff, and then we'll move on. Yeah, you know, I've never really been a huge fan of West Saratoga, even though I've got him in third. Um, he's, you know, kind of a, a play against for me in in this spot in terms of, you know, maybe running in the exacta. So I went with Crazy Mason. Um, coming out of a race that uh, a couple runners uh, in this race are coming out of the inaugural here at Tampa. Um I just think he does, you know, his best running late. Um, if if you go to that race, um, it, it seemed like he was, you know, pranking, he had a pretty good late kick. Um, and he was a five to one in a race where Patriot Spirit was, you know, uh, head above shoulders, the best horse in the race. And I, I think he went off at around three to five. Um, so I, I don't think he was, you know, getting to Patriot Spirit that day. Um, but I think if, if, you know, if West Saratoga shows some speed, there's some other horses that are, you know, quick as well. I think, you know, maybe he could come come running late and pick up the pieces. I'm interested to see what you guys uh, say on the five, uh, other than the fact that the the horse is very light. Yeah, he is very light. He is, uh, as you can see on the form, he is no rider, which is interesting. And the fact that Gallardo jumps to the seven, if you like kind of, you know, that jockey gymnastics type of angle, that's an interesting one. But, I mean, this was a race that, uh, Bandit Rocket was on the inside speed and just looked really strong coming for home. It might not have been the best field considering that uh, my horse, Euclid Avenue, looked like he was on Euclid Avenue most of the race. But, uh, Charlie, I'll let you touch on Bandit Rocket and we'll move on. Uh, anything you want to touch on? But that race was strong, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I'll just cover my top three real quick. I mean, again, the three just seems the obvious horse. The figures match. The cutback's perfect. The 36-flat workout is absurd. West Saratoga, again, I think it'll just get bet down, but I just had to respect the previous competition and figures. Certainly could factor underneath for me. It's just a one-horse race. I'd rather try to find a price like Noah was touching on underneath. Uh, and then Branded Rocket, I mean, look, obviously, I, or Banded Rocket, I don't know much about the jockey, no rider. Uh, Purdy's pretty light, though, so that could be a little bit of an upset, you know, not having to carry as much weight. Uh, Purdy's not as heavy as the other jockeys, but uh, on a serious note, we'll be interested to see who is aboard. Uh, but again, like I touched on in the race earlier where I picked a horse second time out. Again, these horses can take steps forward. Again, another well-met horse that certainly wasn't cheap. Uh, had a really nice debut. Again, I understand that the figure isn't crazy, but I think Banded Rocket could take a nice step forward. And again, when you have some of these races where there's a clear-cut, top-proven horse, it's always nice to look for an inexperienced one to see if a horse like Banded Rocket can maybe take a nice step forward and 
you know, make a big impact on this race. So I certainly think, again, if you're looking for another price underneath and you want to fade West Saratoga, like Noah was touching, I think the best angle here would maybe to play the three over someone besides the one. Don't disagree with you by any means. And, you know, for Crazy Mason coming off that inaugural race at Tampa, kind of, you know, not necessarily a direct prep, but kind of worked that way for Gregory Sacco and then um, Banded Rocket, of course, coming second. First time facing winners, of course, but could take a nice step forward. I'm going 3-5-1. Charlie's going 3-1-5. Noah's going 3-4-1. Guys, going to go right to best bets here. Charlie, I'll let you go first. And the race we just touched on is one of your best bets as well. You'll go race number six. You go a nice double two with one five in the seventh race. And race number nine, you're going to exact a three over one five. Charlie, go ahead. Talk about your best bets. I mean, look, I'm sold on live in for me. That was pretty easy. I know we all were on the two, so I won't go any farther in depth. Uh, I cut, kind of touched on, I know we all think Mystic Lake could wire the field, but I still think Gervin's Princess could sit a nice trip just off of Mystic Lake and go by. So just in case, and as you touched on before with, you know, trying to, you know, balance out your wager, I'll probably be doing that as well. Uh, but just want to have another option to play into. And then in race nine, again, I said, I think the three is the clear cut best horse, probably my best on the car, but I'm not just going to take a chalk horse to win straight up. That'll probably be, you know, six to five or something. Uh, so I decided to just play over West Saratoga as the obvious. And then again, maybe hoping that the five would be the more preferred one to finish underneath um, in a uh, banded rock to try to get a better price. And then I know we covered those uh, the last race. So I'll say really quickly, I had noble and kind the 12, uh, over the two, over the eight. I mean, it's really a wide open horse with a bunch of unknowns. It's just for me with uh, Noble and Kind, I just, the last race wasn't good, but at least there were a few consistent figures in the 50s, which doesn't sound great, but for this field is. Uh, with the two horse, again, I just like the closing ability. And we talk about in these cheap races, horses that can't pass, at least the two can pass. Uh, and then the eight is another one who actually ran against the two and, you know, is a little more forward place and has a bunch of efforts in the high 40s, which, again, for this level of competition is good. So those are the three horses I'm looking at. But I encourage our viewers to focus more on the stakes races and maybe make that a spread if you play the late pick five. Yeah, I mean, look, the last race, unless you have a very good opinion, it's going to have to be a spread, in my opinion. But you don't want to go too deep, of course, as that's going to bring up the ticket if you catch a talk. If you're going to, if it's going to be a chalky sequence, you're going to need to catch a price somewhere to be able to make money in a horizontal sequence. No, going to you. Or no, sorry, no, you're not going to you. Excuse me. You I can, I can give one though. Go for I, it. All out you. Of the uh, out of the three stakes races that I was able to cover, I would probably <laughs> go double, starting with Liban, not nothing creative, um, and then I would. You know, uh, have uh, the one Mystic Lake, and then the six that I had on top, Gorgeous Girl, on the on the other end. Um, you know, from what we covered, it, it seems a little chalky, uh, or it could be chalky in those uh, in those stakes races. But uh, uh, the double is probably the best way to to get value with two chalks. Like like a son to me, like he's talking my language. I must have rubbed off on him or something. That's that's exactly what I wanted to say. Is you know, on a day like this, that it almost seems pretty chalky. You're the double is going to be my best friend in a way to kind of extract a little bit of value from these favorites. I'm going a pretty pretty obvious doubles, but I want to kind of go through real quick. Liban, of course, but I want to include the number six magical loot in there as well, because if those horses go stretching out from sprint to routing distances aren't enabled to get that routing distance, I want to have a horse in there that's a little bit tested and a horse that's going to pick up the pieces late if it does happen, magical loot is that horse for me and then singling the number set uh the number one mystic lake in the seventh race best on figures looks to have a pace advantage that's going to be my single and i want to be able to spread somewhere where i could get a little bit of a price in case that race falls apart and then again nothing special here hello hi how are you and flag woman over the number three bookum dano 
just finding ways to extract value out of these, you know, one to one, four to five favorites and not necessarily placing a big enough, a big wager on a horse that's going to be one to one, but you're getting three to one, four to one on a double. And that could be a way to extract a little bit more value on your day. But guys, that's going to end our horse racing segment a little bit uh, longer than I want to. And I apologize to our guest who's waiting in the background, but um, we have a lot of football to cover. And for those of you that don't know, Although he covers a lot of horse racing for FanDuel TV and NBC, he has he's a he's a pretty avid sports better. And for the, any of you who have listened to his uh, late show on the In the Money podcast, In the Money Media podcast, uh, the Matt Bernier show, he used to cover NFL all the time, and he has models and all this stuff. So I'm very interested. I'm sure you guys are very interested to hear what he has to say. Matt, give me a thumbs up if you can hear me and you're ready to go. Sounds good. Bring him on the great and again. We thank him so much for coming on the show. Matt Bernier. Matt, how are you doing tonight? Hi, guys. How are you? Good, man. Like I said, we're just very appreciative that you're willing to you know, take some time out of your busy schedule uh, every single day down there in South Florida for uh, FanDuel TV to be on with us. But um, like I say, you're talking a little, little bit something different tonight. Yeah, I, I mean, it was something I always did with the podcast. And uh, I don't know if everybody knows this, but before I hooked up with FanDuel, when I was writing for NBC, I was writing about betting on soccer, betting on hockey, and really just beyond that, I, me and my best friend kind of went back and forth looking into the modeling side of things, the predictive modeling. And yep. I think it's still an area that a lot of people, even if you're a diehard sports better, you're not, it's not something everybody does. I think it gives you a major edge. You can kind of sift through all the BS and takes the subjectivity out of it. It's just kind of what the data is, is what the data is. It's hard to fudge it too much. But I, that was really when I saw an uptick in my success as far as the sports betting is concerned, where, again, you can sit there and say, and I was guilty of it. Look, I don't model everything, especially now with the amount of time that goes into the FanDuel stuff. But like Monday night. I watch the semifinal games and I go, look, Washington's going to go out there and they're going to be able to march up and down. If they turn into a track meet, how's Michigan going to hang? And I knew within the first 15 minutes I was screwed. So <laughs> that's why you don't just go with your heart and, and yeah. you know what your eyeball is telling you. You got to factor in a little bit more. And uh, luckily with, with football over the years, my uh, professional football, my, uh, my numbers have been pretty good. So I'm looking forward to the playoffs starting on Saturday and I, I wish I could give you something crazy as far as big picture with the playoffs. I think the two best teams have been and probably will continue to be Baltimore and San Francisco. I just think it, in both conferences, I, I think there's a lot of questions. And those two teams, I guess maybe it's not necessarily a vote of confidence, but they just have far fewer questions to me than everybody else does. Yep. And we've been talking about that a lot with, uh, you know, Charlie and Noah on, as we've been going through we've, at the end of the show, we've been going over, you know, playoffs and stuff like that. And, you know, where do we see things? And it's kind of like, there is no really like big standouts. Like, you know, no, like, of course we have Baltimore and San Francisco on either side, but it's not like that team is fully, you know, it's fully well-rounded. There's no questions. There's a lot of questions with every single team, but almost just seems like, as you stated, like San Francisco and Baltimore just have, you know, the least amount of questions from any obviously Purdy with you know people are always going to say what about that last performance it's it's completely different scenario now Lamar Jackson now the heavy MVP favorite um like I said winners are just going to go out and winners are going to do and if they have the most weapons to be able to do that that's kind of where it's the you know it's going to lie and it's not necessarily like you said you know a very um out there statement 
but it almost just seems like they have the big they have the best chance to be able to make a big push. I, th- I think as far as San Francisco goes, I- I've heard a lot of people, you know, you listen to different podcasts, you listen to people on TV talk about, you know, the real question is how does Purdy bounce back after kind of maybe a subpar finish to the season and obviously got dinged up there in the Baltimore game at the very end. I- again, if we want to just kind of make the comparison to horse racing, if you have the absolute best jockey in the world, whoever you whoever you think the best is, and you put him on, uh, let's say a, a 50 claimer in a grade one race. I don't care how good the jockey is. The horse got no chance. If you take a triple crown winner and you put them in against 50 claimers and you give them the worst jockey in the room, the horse is still going to win. And I just think top to bottom, San Francisco's got, basically you can go through, I guess their secondary is a little bit suspect, but beyond that, they kind of tick every box on offense. You've got multiple different weapons I think the front seven on defense is as good as anyone really in the NFC. And, and you could maybe even stretch that a little bit farther. Maybe it's not quite as good as Baltimore, but I, I don't know. I mean, Purdy, if you want to call him a game manager, if you want to say he's not, you know, the best quarterback, maybe not even top five as far as the playoffs go, I don't really care. As long as he doesn't screw it up, it's going to be hard yeah. for him to lose. Like I said, you know, even if it's system quarterback or whatever you want to say, you know, it, it doesn't matter. If he does the system well and he throws yeah. the ball well to, you know, all the weapons that he has, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Wins are wins. So 100%. Um, you don't need style points. You just got to yeah. get a W, survive and advance. Yep, that's exactly – that's the name of the playoffs, right? Just survive, yeah. advance, and win. That's all it needs. Yeah. But, um, Matt, what we're going to do here is I'm going to kind of – like I said, I kind of want to get your take on um, all the different games. And, obviously, I have all the lines set up. I also have what the lines opened at versus what they are now, which is something Charlie likes to touch on. So I'll, I'll bring him in a lot as well. We'll just go through pretty quick through the games and kind of get, you know, the modeling and all that type of standpoint from you. Cause I want to, like I said, a lot of our fans don't, obviously they know you from FanDuel TV and the horse racing, but um, like I said, you're a very proficient sports better in your own right. And you have all these tools to be able to help you. So I want to kind of get your take on that as well. If that's all right with you, of course. Yeah, totally. All right, let's do it. So game one is that is Saturday at 4 30 PM Eastern. It's Cleveland at Houston. And I think this is one of the most interesting games of the entire uh, weekend. And Houston is a team who's completely different if CJ Stroud's not at the helm. Um, but then you have at the you have grandpa on the other side of the field who's been absolutely slinging the hell out of the ball in Joe Flacco. And they actually earned favoritism in this game by two and a half over under 44 and a half. Matt, of course, I'll let you talk first. And then Charlie, I want to get your sense on it as well. But I actually thought it was pretty interesting. Obviously, I might have thought Cleveland's going to be mi- minus two and a half because of the defense. But um, especially in Houston as well, I was a little bit interested to see the field goal favorite. I know when these two teams played a few weeks ago, and Mm -hmm. granted, you didn't have Stroud, which is obviously a a major wild card in the fact that he wasn't involved. And I know in the fourth quarter, it was kind of garbage time that Houston ended up coming back. But it's not as though this was some sort of a defensive battle and there weren't points being scored. I mean, they were kind of going up and down the field on each other. And if... If Houston, again, I understand it was garbage time, but if Houston could do that with, the, I think it was Case Keenum or, or whomever uh, it was. Davis Mills, the neck Davis Mills. himself. Okay, great. Even better from Stanford. <laughs> like, if they could do that with, with him back there, and we saw what Stroud, I mean, all season we've seen what Stroud can do. He, it goes back to like the whole, as a Patriots fan, I'm kind of thankful that they're in the third slot for the draft because it's, it's a coin flip. One of those two quarterbacks is going to suck. It's just a given, it, yeah. and it's, there's no rhyme or reason. 
Um, and Stroud happened to be the one that hit. I guess Anthony Richardson maybe in time will. But yeah. to me, the, the idea that if Houston could do – and I, I know they've got major injuries, but if they could do what they did a few weeks ago with – I mean, let's effectively call him, I don't know, 40th best quarterback in the entire NFL. C.J. Stroud, I got to assume he's worth a touchdown, two touchdowns mm-hmm. as far as overall offense is concerned. I ended up having this actually come out to 23-21 in favor of Houston. So I've got like a four and a half point difference. Um, I wouldn't fault anyone that was a little bit leery to take a rookie quarterback making his playoff debut. But this whole Browns thing, it's not smoke and mirrors by any means. The defense is legit. Yeah. It's just, when is the whole Flacco thing going to go kaput? I mean, it, it. I feel like they've been playing with fire a little bit for a while now. You know, it's not like he's been completely unscathed. He's had a couple of games where he's thrown two or three picks. Um I don't think they can afford to do that on Saturday. And if they do and they just content trying to air it out, uh, I do think Houston can win this game. And like I said, as far as my numbers are concerned, I actually have them winning outright. Yeah. And, you know, the money line obviously will favor that. Charlie, the line opened up in minus two is what I have and the 44. Now it's 44 and a half, which is basically the same, but it did move up a half a point to in favor of Cleveland, which of course would mean that you've had a lot of money go towards that spread. I'm, I'm interested to see, because obviously I know you're big into that analytic stuff as well. I'm interested to see what you have and kind of what your thoughts are on this game as well. Yeah, you know, I'm sure a lot of our audience is kind of assuming that I'm all over the Texans because Stroud went to OSU. And look, I mean, I got to see that final game against Georgia and as heartbreaking as it was, it was also, you know, one of the best quarterback performances I've ever seen. He played in, all, in an entire NFL defense, basically, and just said, I'm going balls to the wall and took it to him in a playoff game. So for me, the rookie quarterback in the playoff atmosphere doesn't worry me at all. I would argue having to play Georgia in their backyard in the college football playoff is a scarier environment than an NFL playoff game against the Browns. That's just me personally from getting to see that environment. I've been to NFL games, and that was one of the most loud and anti-OSU obviously games. It was basically just playing an away game in a playoff game, and now he gets a home playoff game. So I don't think the atmosphere is a worry for me at all. My big concern was what I saw in the Colts game, which is what I think is going to be a big problem with this game. I get there's concerns with Flacco. But they could not stop the run, and I think if the Browns can make this a defensive smash-mouth game, just run the football, chew the clock out, do long drives, keep the ball out of Stroud's hands, unfortunately it's not going to matter who's at quarterback because if they're able to score almost every possession and just kind of just almost kind of reminds me of kind of like the Michigan-Washington game where Michigan just imposed their will and said, look, we're going to play smash-mouth football, do these six, seven-minute drives, and you got to be near perfect or else you're in trouble. I think that's what's going to happen here. I think the Browns are – I understand that, you know, it's in a dome so that would argue helps the Texans. It's not as ideal if you're a smash-mouth game. You know, you prefer a cold-weather game outdoors in Cleveland. But I think the Browns are a team that's sneaky enough and danger, dangerous enough that they can go on a Super Bowl run. Personally, I don't think they will win the Super Bowl, but I will say I think Flacco has been there. I know they kind of live and die by him, but I think, honestly, if they just say, look, like you know what you're doing and we don't need you to do much, he's kind of, in a way, can also be a game manager. He just tended to like to use his cannon of an arm. But I think if they just stick to that defense and run game, I think they could beat just about anybody. That defense is you know, top three in the league. I like the experience. I think Kevin Stefanski could win Coach of the Year, and it's well-deserved. I like Cleveland here. I think they're very tough. I, I love what Stroud's done. Nobody expected the Texans to do this. It's been an incredible year for them. Uh, but I'm going to lean with the Browns here. Hey, West Coast bias, you know, Joe Flacco, going back to his rookie year in Baltimore, he's 5-0 and in playoff games, in first-round playoff games, that is. Obviously, difference between wild card now and then, but still, um, I want to get your take. You know, where are you leaning on this game? Yeah, I thought Charlie pretty much hit it right on the head. Uh, the two things for me were experience, uh, both sides of the ball, you know, 
just like you touched on Joe Flacco. And then I, I think it starts with the defense. You know, we, we saw it on Monday, as, as Charlie said, um, you know, I just, you know, they've proven that they're, they've been one of the best in the league for years to come. And even though, you know, Stroud's had that, you know, that college playoff experience before, uh, I don't think there's anything like the NFL. So I, I think it's going to definitely be a test for him. So I'd probably leave towards, lean towards Cleveland. I actually like Houston on the spread here, but I, I think it's just going to be a really down uh, physical game. And the fact of the matter is if the Cleveland's going to have that defense, I like them coming out on top. But I don't necessarily know if they'll win by a field goal. I think it might actually be, you know, somewhere around, like you said, Matt, kind of that 23-21 angle. But I think it might be kind of that – I think it might be leaning towards Cleveland on that note. But still, the fact of the matter is Houston's plus two and a half in a game at home. Granted, Stroud's the rookie quarterback, Pete. He's shown he's a completely different team with Stroud at the helm. I like Houston on the spread here, but I think Cleveland might actually still come out on top. Matt, I'll leave it to you. Any final comments before we move on to game two? No, I, I think the, the pieces that you guys have brought up, sort of the pros for Cleveland, I, I have no gripe. I have no sort of you know way to combat that. I, I think those are all valid statements. It's just really a matter of how does Houston's defense handle yeah. Flacco? Do they take advantage of some of those kind of 50-50 balls where he's just going to look for Cooper or look whoever is out there airing it out? If they can turn a couple of those from big plays offensively for Cleveland into turnovers – that's that's really the recipe for them to end up coming through. Yeah, no, and you pointed that out too. You know, Flacco's you know been really good. He's had a ninety you know a ninety QBR around there, but he has thrown eight eight picks in like five games or whatever. So you know he's definitely he's not without it. his turnovers, but he is slinging it. That's for damn sure. He's I mean he's had sixteen. He's at over sixteen hundred yards in four or five games, which <laughs> is the Flacco way. But game two, guys, this moves on to Saturday. This moves on to Saturday night. This is the game that a lot of people are thinking, oh, done and dusted, not to mention that this game is going to be played in basically negative conditions in Kansas City. Um, Miami at Kansas City. Kansas City is minus four, and they opened up at minus three for what I have as well. So that money is flowing towards Kansas City. Over-unders pretty much stayed the same since it opened. But, Matt, um, interested to hear what you have because, you know, it's not easy for a team like Miami to go into Kansas City, especially with the weather. No. So the other thing, too, I'm looking at uh, FanDuel right now, uh, minus four is juiced to 15. So that could easily go to four and a half and yeah. you know, sooner than later as far as favorite to uh, Kansas City is concerned. So here's the difficult thing about the purely going as far as the data is concerned. I think these two teams are very similar. Yeah. I don't think either of them are very good. Um, I think Miami and we'll talk about Dallas in, in two games, but they are, I mean, they're basically counterparts. I think they are both bully beaters or you know however you want to say they're they're flat track bullies when they play good teams they suck when they play shitty teams they end up playing very well and they can put up 100 points i don't think kansas city is that good but boy you want to talk about a major major loss when miami lost down here on sunday night not only did you lose the home game but you lost call it i don't know 75 degrees worth of temperature so now you're gonna have to play in kansas city where it could end up being minus five by the time they're actually playing for a team that's predicated on speed. Um, I have 24-23 Kansas City, but that is with zero confidence. It's a game I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. Yep. Kansas City, it just from start to finish this year, has not been good. They just haven't. The defense has been nice. I know they're you know a top, call it seven kind of unit in the league, but offensively, they're a shell of what they used to be. And even Mahomes, I, I mean, obviously he's probably pushing it and forcing things a little bit, but I don't think he's been nearly as good this year as he has been in years past and um, primarily because he just doesn't have the weapons. But I, I don't like either of these teams long-term. 
If either of them come out of the AFC, I'll be stunned. Um, I I guess if I had to make a play here, I would take the points with the Dolphins. But uh, that is this is a game I will have no interest in as far as gambling is concerned. I completely agree with you on all, on all fronts in that regard. And a lot of people are just writing off Miami because they're another team that's banged up. Um, they, their defense is really banged up. Their edge, um, I can't remember his name. The edge rusher is out for um, Xavier Howard's. All, yep, yeah, he's out. Uh, Xavier Howard's also out still for Miami. So they're a banged up defense going into Kansas City in a cold weather game. People are kind of just completely writing off Miami, but people are, yeah, people tend to forget Charlie that you know this. Like Matt said, Kansas City is nowhere near the Kansas City that we've seen in years past, and the fact that they've lost the weapons that they've had. And sometimes their offense can't even catch the damn ball. Um, it's just there's people are kind of, I think, writing off Miami a little bit too soon. Yeah, I mean, look, my brother's a Chargers fan, so I follow the AFC West closely watching those games with him. Uh, I'm not sold on this Kansas City team at all. It's one of the worst teams I think I've seen in their Mahomes era. They don't have any pass catchers. You know, I get that they have Travis Kelsey and he's one of the best tight ends we've ever seen. But that they have Taylor means- Swift, though, man, they have Taylor Swift. It only means so much. And I'm kind of happy to hear what Matt said because it's a lot of what I was thinking, but I was worried it was biased out of my hatred for the Chiefs that I was seeing this <laughs> the same way. I would argue if you're Baltimore and you're watching this, you're kind of upset with the way the playoffs turn out because, you know, I know what the way like the highest seed plays, like the worst seed. They end up playing Cleveland. I would rather be playing, you know, Miami or Kansas City over Cleveland in a heartbeat if I was Baltimore waiting for this game. Um, and ultimately, I, I actually really do. I understand the weather's a concern for people. I actually think. As crazy as this might sound, I think the weather's actually a better thing for the Dolphins, and I'll explain why. I know they're used to Miami, and they're a high-powered passing offense, but people forget who Mike McDaniels is and where he came from. He came from San Francisco. They're a run-heavy team. They're a team that plays smash-mouth football. He brought in all of his running backs from San Francisco that are fast running backs that have played in those physical run games. Those are the guys that played in Green Bay and Lambeau in those cold, snowy games and beat the crap out of them to get the Super Bowl. So they have guys that have done that. I think Kansas City would actually prefer this game to be in Miami just as much as Miami would so they can you know, have Mahomes playing in a more high-powered, weather-controlled game. I think if you force this to be a run-oriented game, I think that helps Miami. I think the other thing you can argue with these cold games, you know, it's harder to, you know, chuck up deep balls. So why not throw it underneath to Tyree Kill and let him do yards after catch? I think this is a game that favors that. And he's a speedster. This is a revenge game for him. I know he's definitely been watching Kansas City this year and thinking this whole time, man, they really needed me. They shouldn't have, you know, moved on for me and assumed Mahomes could play with anybody as good as Mahomes is, as Matt touched on. He's had to force a lot of things because they are missing Tyree Kill a lot. And I think they kind of, you know, underestimated just how much they would miss him. He's been, I think you could argue Tyree Kill, he won't win MVP, but I think there's certainly a legitimate argument that he could be because we've seen how bad Miami is without him. I just think I know their defense is banged up, but they do have Jalen Ramsey back now. They still have a lot of solid players. I know they lost Bradley Chubb too. That D-line is certainly going to have, you know, some problems to deal with. But we've also seen that Kansas City all-line at times has been suspect and made Mahomes have to, again, kind of scramble for his life at times and make deep throws. For me, I'm happy if people – Combine, you know, maybe the Sharks really do like Kansas City, but I also know I'm sure there's tons of casual betters. Everybody who's always high in Kansas City that's only helping that money pouring. As long as this spread is over a field goal, I absolutely would jump at the chance to take Miami. Again, I think this game is more of a stay away, as Matt said, but if this spread keeps climbing, I feel it could get to a point where I'd be crazy to pass on Miami. I think people are overlooking them a lot. I think they played a Bills team where, honestly, they Miami kind of threw that game away and could have won against a Bills team that people forget was 6-6. Six and six. And I would argue if you're, you know, we were talking at the beginning about who would be the wild card teams to make a run I think the Bills are one of those teams and Miami still did hang with them with as bad as they played and honestly looked a lot better than when they played Buffalo the first time and got the crap beat out of them so I like Miami here Noah 
I think I would go the other way. I, I think I'd go with the Chiefs in this spot. I mean, I, I just think, you know, this Miami team still has to go into Kansas City. I, everybody's talking about the weather, but, I mean, you're going to have Kansas City – you're going to have psychotic fans that have their shirts off when, the, when it's, you know, <laughs> single digits outside. Um, and I just think, you know, with that weather, it kind of eliminates what I think is Miami's biggest threat, and that's a pass game. Um, you know, either, either of these teams, you don't really think uh, of their running game as, you know, being their strongest suit. Um, and I just think, you know, Kansas City's defense has been a little more suspect in, in past years. And I think, you know, they're kind of starting to come around and, and play with some confidence. Um, so I, you know, probably lean towards Kansas City and uh, not to copy the boss, but I, it seems like he really <laughs> likes Kansas City. He does certainly like Kansas City. He's, I know they're not the same as they have been, but I think they'll step up here, says the boss. Again, as Charlie said, if this, as Matt said, I wouldn't touch this game anywhere near. I mean, maybe twenty foot pole, maybe. But um, Charlie said, I really like Miami's run game in a game like this, where they can get physical. Their old line is very good. They can step up. Both uh, Mostert and Achan should be good for this game. So the dual running threat, I could be, I think, could be very good for Miami. I just think people are uh, writing them off way too soon. I think this is going to be a pretty competitive game in the cold. I think it's going to be possibly a low-scoring game, but I think, Miami, like I said, Miami could come out on top um, over a shell of a Kansas City team. Guys, we'll move, our, we'll move pretty quick here into game three, and then we'll keep going quick because obviously I want to get Matt out here at a reasonable time, and I, I feel bad uh, bringing him over the time that I You're told good. him. So. You're good. Don't um, worry. I'll right. let you know when I got to go. We're good. Sounds good, man. No worries. I appreciate it. So Sunday, going on to Sunday games, Pittsburgh-Buffalo, 10 points. I mean, I expected it to be a lot, but 10 points is a lot of points, Matt. Yeah, t- 10, 10 is too big, I think, for a playoff game. Um, I've got 24-17 Buffalo, but uh, apparently the weather in this game is supposed to be even worse than yeah, what they're going to deal with in Kansas City. So um, the total is tiny as well, right? Yeah, 36 yeah, and a 36. half. So. 10 and 36 and a half, they're effectively looking at what, call it a, a, I don't know, 20 to 10, 20 to 13, somewhere, you know, in that ballpark. Um, But Buffalo to me is the kind of team that could lay an absolute egg and dribble down their pants and lose at home to a terrible Pittsburgh team, or they can go out there and and track me, win by 40. Um, Another game I probably don't touch. I tend to agree with you, though. I mean, it's a professional football game. 10 points is a lot. And Jim Pilars, who's a fan of the, who's a, a guy who watches the show a lot. I'm, you might even know him from watching the show. But he's a Buffalo native, but the right side is Pittsburgh plus 10. They struggle against physical teams and do well at the flashier teams. He said this will be a weather game. Winds gusting 30 miles per hour, gusting to 50 with snow keeping the scoring down makes the plus 10 attractive. And the fact, Charlie, I mean, like we talk, um, we're in a spread pool with the boss. And, you know, we talk about taking these big, home favorites and it's been in a playoff game when Mason Rudolph is slinging the ball. I don't mean, I mean, still, but 10 points is a lot of points. Yeah. You know, I know sometimes people talk about it sometimes how you, uh, you know, in the betting world where you just hate a game so damn much that it almost makes you want to actually play it. Like, you know, you just keep talking yourself off <laughs> to the point where you're like, you know what, maybe I've talked myself into it. I think that's what I did here. You know, I think certainly Jim's analysis, which I appreciate has made it even more obvious. I just don't know how you don't pick Pittsburgh here. I mean, the reality is I think people get the misconception because it's Buffalo and they play in those cold weather games and Josh Allen is physical, that they would love it if this game is windy and, you know, physical, low, like low scoring cold game. But that's the opposite. They actually prefer 
these games in Miami because I know Josh Allen has played in Wyoming. He's physical, but they like to be a high-scoring, flashy passing game team as Jim Tutson. They don't like these physical, low-scoring run games, and that's the only way Pittsburgh can even say competitive in games. They want to hand it off to uh, uh, Jalen Warren, who's their you know fast-running Najee Harris, who moves about a tenth of a mile an hour, but he can still run people over, so you have to respect that. Uh, so, you know, they have a physical game. Uh, if you're going against Mike Tomlin, who is just unbelievable, you know, at getting good records. I mean, he takes five win teams and every single year somehow manages to finish above 500 and sneak into the playoffs. And I know they lost T.J. Watt, so we'll have to make an adjustment. But I think yeah. Mike Tomlin will make the necessary adjustments. Their defense is going to play physical, keep them in this game for sure. I think Buffalo will win. I just think, honestly, Pittsburgh's too terrible on offense to be able to sneak, steal a win unless Josh Allen throws like three or four picks, which knowing Josh Allen, he could throw four touchdowns and four picks. That's kind who he is um i think buffalo will win but there's just no way they win and cover this spread i mean this is a spreader if you looked in the college football playoff you'd be like this is crazy and in the nfl it's even less likely that you have you know blowouts in these games i'd take the plus 10 i think the weather makes it even worse i think everything that pittsburgh could have begged for you know snow windy like cold game everything they could beg for to try to make it a you know dirty punch in your mouth low scoring game is what they're getting i just don't see how buffalo covers the spread i think they'll win and i know i said they're a team on the rise but i think this is a game set up for pittsburgh to keep it close i don't disagree with you by any means noah go to you next uh talk about a game that i wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole that's for sure <laughs> especially with the 10 points um if i had to lean one way i i think i actually would take buffalo given 10 um, I just think they're finding their groove at the right time. And if you go back to the uh, that uh, Week 18 game, the Steelers and the Ravens, um, R- Rudolph was struggling. I, I thought they were going to go to Pickett there for a second. Um, he kind of found his groove late, but I mean, they just they had to fight hard to even get into this game. And I just think Buffalo's hotter than than some of the teams uh, that are, are kind of going in the wrong direction. Um, but again, I would never play this game on my own. Ten, like I said, ten points is a lot of points, and almost just begs you to take Pittsburgh here. And the line opened up at minus nine, so the fact that it's still going, you know, towards Buffalo's favor, I guess, tells you where the public wants to kind of send this game, and they just think Buffalo's going to kind of trounce Pittsburgh. But as I, I mean, I've said probably ten times so far, you're given ten points, and the fact of the matter is that's you know that's a touchdown and a field goal in a game where it's going to be horrible weather. It's going to be absolutely physical, brutal football with two teams that love to play brutal physical football. So Pittsburgh is definitely the, would be the lean for me, but could go either way and probably won't touch game four guys, Sunday, 4 30 PM Eastern green Bay at Dallas. And Matt, you said you'd hinted a little bit earlier, but I'm guessing that seven to seven and a half for Dallas is not something that you're kind of leaning towards. No, especially with the hook. Um, I, yes, I think correct. the side for me would be Green Bay. I have 28-21, but I, I say that with a bit of an asterisk because Dallas, to me, the numbers say one thing. When you go through, and you can do the exact same exercise with Miami, Dallas ended up 12-5. and five. Their losses came against Miami most recently. Okay, fine, whatever. Again, I think they're 1A and 1B. They're the same team. They got destroyed by Buffalo. Uh, let's see, they lost a, a bad Philadelphia team, who we'll talk about at the very end. Yep. They got killed by San Francisco, and then they lost to the Cardinals. You take a look at their wins, with the exception of the win over the Rams, when, keep in mind, the Rams, I don't think, were the same Rams in Week 8 that they are now. They didn't beat anyone. They, yep. they beat up on cupcakes, and they got taken to the woodshed by good teams. I, I don't trust them at all. I think they could easily get through this, just simply because I don't know where I really feel Green Bay fits in with this thing. Um I don't want to say they backdoored their way in because they played very well down the stretch and Jordan Love 
Uh, I think the last number I saw was like 16 to one touchdown interception ratio That's down the stretch. Yeah, so like he really kind of you know stepped up a little bit. I don't mean to rub salt in the uh, Bears no, fans' wounds, fine. but <laughs> it's I I would take the points here, but I don't know that I love the prospects of Dallas going forward. I completely agree with you. And I know one other guy that most likely agrees with you, Charlie. Man, you know I call them the cowgirls. I love to make fun of them. It's <laughs> tough. It's two evils here. You know I hate the Cowboys and I also hate the Packers. So this is tough. But Bossman actually stole my point that I was going to bring up here. As much as I think the Cowboys are frauds and I don't think they'll win a Super Bowl in my lifetime. I mean, maybe they will. I hope not. But they are a different team. Not just when they play easier teams, but they're also a different team at home. I mean, they're eight and zero at home. They're four and five on the road. I think, you know, I know they don't play in a neutral site, but I think if they were playing the Packers where they could be playing in a Super Bowl or if they were playing in Green Bay, I would absolutely be looking for Green Bay. It's very tough for me. I just I'm not sold on this Packers team. I get that they beat the Bears, but I think they just they it almost it just feels like they prepare for the Bears so well and they own the Bears. So it kind of like makes them look better than they are. And it's just their dream matchup. You know, if they played the Bears every game, as much as I hate to say it, as a you know, Bears and Saints fan, they'd be 17 and 0 and look like world beaters, but they can't play the Bears every week. People forget as much as they like to hate on the Cowboys. I'm one of those people. This is the same Packers team that's defense has looked bad and nearly lost to the Carolina Panthers, who I think and I tweet and I stand by, I think they should be relegated to the CFL. So I don't I'm not sold on this Packers team at all. Uh, you know, I don't think they're that good. I'm going to take the Cowboys. As Matt touched on, I wish I had the hook my way. I wished it was six and a half. But I'm just going to trust that elite defense with Micah Parsons. As much as everybody likes to clown Dak, he's been really good this year. I mean, his numbers are better than yeah. Lamar's from an MVP standpoint, but obviously Lamar deserves to win it. I'm going to trust the Cowboys here. And no, this is not because I hate the Packers because I hate both teams. I just <laughs> I like them at home. They're a different team. I'm going to trust that they have a good offense and defense, whereas for Green Bay, I think they just have a good offense. Yeah, no, I'll go to you next. I mean, this is the one game that hasn't changed really at all. I mean, this the spread's exactly the same. The over-under is pretty much the same as well. Noah, where do you stand? Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I was kind of curious to see which, which with the, you know, with the money that's being put into this game, which way would go. Um, I think the hook is going to play a lot uh, of factors in terms of you know who, who people end up going with in the end. Um, Green Bay is another team that's playing really good right now. Um, I just don't think uh, the NFC North is the the strongest this year. Um, and like other people have touched on, Dallas is just a completely different team at home. Um, I know my uh, future brother-in-law is going to be pissed at me because he's the uh, biggest Packers fan I know, but uh, I'm probably going to have to go with Dallas here. I mean, we touched. This is this just seems like a game for me that either Dallas shows up at home like they always do and wins by 17, and we go, oh well, why do we even trust the Packers in the first place? Of course they were frauds, and the, or the Packers play really well, and it's like ha, Dallas as usual. That, that's about right. It's it, it feels like either way, and this is a game. I mean, like the you know the hook and all this stuff we talk about. I, this is a game I don't want either. It just seems there's a lot of games like this, and. I always talk about with horse racing, you know, you pick a few races, you press those opinions rather than spreading out your money and playing as much as you can elsewhere. This is just not the game for me either. I probably lean towards Green Bay just with the hook and being able to win by most likely a two field goal game where a game that's going to be a lot of offense and not a whole lot of defense. Um, I'd probably lean Green Bay, but can go a lot of different ways in this game as well. But guys, we'll move on to game five here. Sunday night football. Um, on NBC, there you go for you, Matt, a little bit. But <laughs> uh, Los Angeles Rams, shout out West Coast bias at Detroit. Detroit minus three, over under 51 and a half. And this is a game didn't really change either. Detroit was uh, had the field goal hook. Now they're just a push on the field goal at 
uh, three, Matt, where do you where do you kind of land on this game? Well, first, I need to to correct. I said Dallas hasn't beaten anyone of substance. They did technically beat Detroit, even though Detroit should have won that game, given the way everything played at the very end. So I kind of look at that as lost my eyes. Um, I'm going to go against what my numbers say here. And I have, as far as a projection, so I pull it up again, I have Detroit winning 28-23. So I've got them covering the three rather comfortably. But this is the game that to me is the most interesting, not just here, but going forward, because in theory, if the Lions were to win, I believe they would then be the ones to, unless Tampa ended up beating, no, Tampa would end up going uh, on the road to San Francisco. So Detroit would end up playing Dallas again. I think they could win that game. The Rams though, are the ones that I'm most interested in simply because with these projections, it's a probability thing. This is what everything is based off of. And then you run the Sims you know, I do it a thousand times. I know some people say that's not even enough. It should be close to a hundred thousand, but I, my computer's not that strong. The idea is I'm looking at on FanDuel, if you are thinking a little bit outside the box, the Rams to win the NFC are plus 2100s so or 21 to one. I'm not telling you I think they're going to win the NFC, but if you bet on them to win the NFC at 21 to one and they get through Detroit, who's secondary, I guess it's been a little bit better lately. But this is a game where points should be scored. If they can get through Detroit, and then let's say it ends up being Dallas, or really whomever it ends up being in the second round, you just got to win one more game. If you get to the NFC Championship, then you hedge it the other way, and you guarantee yourself a profit. So uh, to me, I'm basically speaking from past failures, where last year down here in Florida, I had bet, actually on Thanksgiving weekend, I had bet the Bengals to win the AFC. And I had a nice fat ticket alive to them, but I had no way of hedging it down here in Florida. And Kansas City ends up winning, and uh, you know we don't need to go back down there. But the idea is, I think there's at least some value in taking a shot on the Rams. And look, they may not get out of the first round, but twenty-one to one to win the NFC, and if they just get to the NFC title game, hedge it the other way, lock in. I don't know ballpark at ten to one, somewhere thereabouts. I, I, I think that's a, a fair way to go about it. I love it, Matt. This is why we bring you on because this is why you get paid the big bucks. I love it. But, uh, you know, just the the type of betting angle on stuff like that is actually, you know, not what many people think about. So the fact of the matter is that, you know, you're looking at this game and you're like, oh, the Rams have to go play Dallas. But the fact of the matter is if they do get through that team, that's a really nice price to be able to, you know, even if you're hedging a little bit and giving up a little bit of that value to be able to put it and back yourself up and still make a nice profit. There's still many different ways you can go. I love that's actually a very good angle. Charlie, where do you stand on this type of game? Yeah, you know, it's tough. I think the NFL script writers were really cooking up here. I wish they'd written my Saints or Bears to make the playoffs. But, you know, you have Stafford. I talked to my friend who was a diehard Lions fan and also Stafford's his favorite player growing up. So, you know, to have them face off is certainly uh, interesting, to say the least. I actually saw a tweet just now that Matthew Stafford's wife's upset because Lions fans are saying, even though we love him, no one should be allowed to wear a Stafford jersey to the game. So I had a little wrinkle in there for the story. I'm going to go with the Lions here. I mean, look, maybe it's my bias because I can't stand the Rams because of the no call in the Saints game. Maybe that's why I just never want to see him succeed again, uh, even though Noah's my boy and I love the Rams. His tongue, dude. I just it's honestly awesome. think that the Lions team, if you look at them, since the Bears beat them, a lot of people kind of talked about, like, are the Lions frauds? I thought they were frauds. I mean, they should have lost to my Saints. The Saints spotted them like 23 in the first quarter and they almost collapsed. And then the Bears, as biased as I am and thinking Fields is going to be a top five QB, they shouldn't have beat the crap out of the Lions. And they did. And everyone thinks the Lions are done. And then what? They blow out a Denver team who was rolling and, you know, just 
just upset Buffalo and looked like they were going back to Russ playing well and going to the playoffs. Then, you know, obviously they kind of just beat everyone in front of them. They get robbed against the Cowboys because, you know, the refs have to keep the precious Cowboys alive. So we knew that was going to happen. But the Lions, as much as people talk about how good of football the Rams have been playing, the Lions, since that Bears upset, have been playing as good of football as anyone you could argue. I and mean, again, they should have beat Dallas, who doesn't lose at home. And I also, I'm not sold on the Rams. They were up big against my Saints, and I was like, man, they deserve this playoff spot over us. They're legit. Almost collapse and lose. Then they play Patrick's Giants, and I won't lie, I was rooting for the Rams to lose to hope my Saints could sneak in. And they almost did mess around and lose if Mason Crosby, that awful Packers player, didn't show he was washed and missed that easy field goal. I think the Rams could also just dominate. I mean, they have Stafford, they have McVay, they have the more proven guys. Again, maybe I'm biased also because Saints legend Dan Campbell on our coaching staff is fighting caps and winning games. You know, maybe I am trying to go with the, you know, the good story here, but Detroit's rowdy. They have a good audience. Uh, you know, there's a big game for them. I feel like this is kind of their Super Bowl. They won't want to admit it, but it is. They're hosting a playoff game. I just think Detroit is too much riding here. They're a really good team. I'm going to go with the Lions. And again, speaking of what, you know, Matt's been talking about, I think they're another sneaky team that you could probably get decent value on that could win the NFC and win the Super Bowl. I think they're like 9-1 to one right now. Uh, it's not plus 950. Yeah. I think you could argue is the second best team in the NFC. No. I know we brought Matt on the show for a reason. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just – from an unbiased perspective, um, I think it's going to be a hell of a game. Um, you know, two teams that, you know, have have played uh, a lot better than kind of expected at the beginning of the year. Um, I obviously will, will go with the Rams just because um, since the All-Star break, they have been playing some really good football. Um, I think they won either. I think they won uh, either six or seven of their last seven or eight games, and the only one they lost was an, uh, a punt return that they gave up to the to the Ravens in OT, which I was definitely upset about. Um, I just think with the Rams um, and the playoff experience um, that Stafford's got and, and McVay, um, and they've got a lot of of weapons on the offensive end. With uh, everybody calls him Puka Doncic, I call him Puka De Beppo uh, and, Puka De and Beppo, Cooper Cup. Um, and then I just think their, their defense is really underrated. They got a lot of, you know, really good young guys. Um, our front seven has, has just been really solid, uh, these last couple of weeks. Uh, I think in terms of, you know, uh, a, a part of our team that can be a little suspect is, is the DBs. Um, I think that's, that's kind of where, uh, you know, Amon Ross, St. Brown and, and, uh, Laporta and a couple of those, uh, a couple of those, um, wait, is, is Laporta playing? No, I doubt it. I, yeah, doubt I can't it. imagine. Very yeah, doubtful. That. that that could be very big for them. Because um, I know when Goff was in LA, uh, he he relied on on Higby and and our yeah. tight ends a lot. Um, so I, I think it's I, I agree with you guys. I think it's probably going to be the game of the weekend. Look, and I know you're going the Rams, so I don't even need to ask you. Oh yeah, okay. But I think I look if the especially if the line goes back up to something like three and a half i'd be much more inclined to take the rams in a game like this but i it's this one i think uh cleveland houston i think it's gonna be one of those two to be the game of the weekend and this definitely has the opportunity to be a high scoring shootout absolutely but um this is from last game matt but i want to show this comment from the boss himself he said he thinks Matt should put some cheese in two bowls laying green bay and dallas for his daughter and which one she chooses that'll tell us who wins (laughs) No, the problem is she would reach into both bowls at the same time <laughs> and take out. We hey, can't have a tie in the playoffs. That's a smart daughter. That's what that is. You, you got to get she, the she, most she, out of what you can. She got it from mom, not from me. That, I, the, smarts I, are not, the smarts are not from me. 
I love it, man. But last game, guys, and then we'll get Matt. Like I said, I really appreciate you jumping on with us and um, talking some football, although we are keeping you a little bit late. But I really do appreciate you hanging on with us. But um, Monday at 8 p.m., Philadelphia minus three, A what people are referring to as a limp, the limping team into the playoffs, which is Philadelphia minus three going into Tampa Bay. Baker Mayfield's playground, 43 and a half is the over under. Matt, do you take the limping team? Or are you going to ride Baker into the sunset? No, I mean, look, I, I don't feel good about it, but I, I actually have Tampa winning 23-22. I think if you strip the team names and the players that are involved for both teams away and you just looked at them for what they are as far as stats are concerned, um, this Philly team's not very good. Uh, it wasn't very good when they were 10-1, and yeah. never mind the fact that they've ripped off all these losses in a row and they're all dinged up. A.J. Brown, I haven't seen the latest, if he's supposed to play or not. Uh, Hertz has got a his middle finger on his throwing hand is all jacked up. Um, two defensively, they can't stop anyone. I I just I don't have much faith in them. And then on the other side, uh, apparently Mayfield's got a, a shoulder problem. Um, I don't really love Tampa. I think the NFC South. I, I apologize, Charlie. The NFC South it's a train wreck all year. Um, but I if you're gonna give me points on a home playoff team. I have to take them, especially if I don't think much of Philadelphia. Um, I would take the points, and honestly, I don't even know what the money line is. Got to be plus one thirty-five somewhere thereabouts. That's where I would lean with Tampa. Yeah, that's what it is. One thirty-four. Look at that. How about that? It's pretty good coming from the man, Charlie. Going down to you. I mean, I probably know where you're going to stand on this game. Is a lot of people that watch the show should, but um, what's your kind of thoughts going into this game with Philly? I, I, I don't want to watch this game. It's painful. It's two of the worst three teams in the playoffs. I think it's the two. I feel bad for the Rams and the Lions. I think they smoke both of these teams. I think the Lions, I think you have the you know second and third best teams in the NFC playing each other. Now you have the two worst. I mean, look, I, I went to the Saints-Bucks game over winter break, and it was fun to watch us destroy the Buccaneers. But fortunately, as Matt touched on, it was too little too late for my Saints team. I mean, honestly, I know I'm biased. I think the Saints can beat both these teams by two touchdowns. I think Philly is fraudulent. They're collapsing. I saw there's rumors that there's one surprise team in the NFC East that could fire their coach, and the only one that would make sense would be the Eagles because – uh, you know, as much as I like to make fun of Mike McCarthy being a, a former Packer, they've turned it around. It wouldn't be uh, – we know the commanders are going to fire Rivera. Maybe they already did. Uh, I don't think it would be a surprise if the Giants made a move, but I don't think they will. So it all would point to the Eagles being the surprise team that, uh, you know, anonymous tips have said are going to fire their coach. Uh, look, the one thing I will give credit to Tampa for, as bad as their offense is, number one, they have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and they're healthy. You know, the guys can play. you got to give them credit. Baker is as tough as they come, and he always in these kind of, like, weird underdog games likes to show up. And the one thing I think that gets overlooked about Tampa and kind of overlooked about the NFC South as a whole is as bad as they've looked because their offenses have been terrible and their quarterback plays been questionable, they have three really solid defenses in the NFL in that division. I mean, Atlanta's defense for a while was holding up. I know they had injuries and they kind of, you know, the Arthur Smith drama it all fell apart. But the Saints defense has been great most of the year. Tampa Bay's defense has been really good all year, honestly. Um so I think in a game, again, as Matt touched on you, you're at home. I, I mean, I remember, again, when I was at the game, their fans are loud and rowdy. They're going to show up. They didn't just move on like everyone said they would when Tom Brady left. They're loyal. Their defense is good. And again, I think when you say a banged-up team playing a physical Tampa defense led by Todd Bowles, who you know is a former defensive coordinator, I think they're going to try to, again, play smash-mouth football. This Eagles defense is just not holding up. I, I looked up Devonta Smith. They said optimistic to play. Doesn't mean he's playing. A.J. Brown, optimistic to play. Jalen Hurts will play, but he's banged up. I think they're just a limping team that's going through a lot right now, that's struggling, that kind of for a while thought the NFC East was theirs and they would maybe even be getting a buy and not have to worry about this game. And now you have to go 
at a Tampa team that's having sort of a magical season that wasn't even probably supposed to make the playoffs. I just think Tampa's going to play with nothing to lose and is like, screw it, we're lucky to be here. And the Eagles are going to be just playing like, oh, we're banged up. Like, I can't believe we have to go through this right now. And I just think if you look at the directions they're trending in, as much as I hate to say this, I'm going to take Tampa Bay and I hate this team, but I got to just be unbiased and call it how I see it. No. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, because we kind of knew what was going to happen in the NFC, I I was kind of riding the train that whichever uh, NFC East team that the Bucks ended up playing, I thought they were going to beat them. I, I thought they looked, you know, better than people said they did. I know uh, both of these teams actually kind of struggled down the stretch. Um, but kind of like uh, Charlie said, I, I just think, you know, you have to go into that Tampa Bay environment that, you know, that, that team's been in, in these positions before. Um, and, and another point that I forgot to mention uh, the last game with the Rams and the Lions, I, I don't understand why, why is this the Monday night game? I just, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I, I don't want to ramble because I don't want to get high blood pressure at the age of 20. So I, 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 I digress at that point, but I, I, I kind of, I still believe in this, in this Bucks team. I there was the big thing that I like to, that I'm touching on is um, obviously like you said Baker Mayfield, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. They're all healthy. They can sling the ball. Philadelphia limping offense gave up the second most pass yards all season on defense. I just feel like that's going to be the key to the game down a Monday night game where Philadelphia is not in the best of spirits. They're not in the best of you know injury world by any means. I think Tampa Bay can really surprise in a game like this. And although they might not go far. I think um, I, I really like Tampa Bay in a game like this. And the um, the game started out minus two and a half as well. So it's gone to minus three, um, which obviously would show the money going elsewhere. But I, I think Tampa Bay's really got a shot in this game. It might just win completely outright, let alone the points. But um, Philly's still just like that. They're, they're a public team. And, and I yep. think too many people still think they are the Philadelphia from last year. Agreed. They're just they're yep. just not. And that yeah, that was gonna be that was gonna be my thing to you, Matt. Was I was gonna give it to you some final things before you uh, before you leave us, and then we'll. Charlie wants to talk about all the coaching crap that went on all of you know yesterday and today. But um, any final thoughts? And like I said, you gave out that um, that great tip on a team like the Rams, where you're kind of you know looking for that twenty-one to one angle. But um, like I said, we really appreciate you coming on. And then um, any final thoughts before we let you go? Yeah, just um, well, first things first, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And um, if I'm just looking at power numbers that I've got, like just to kind of emphasize the average of the playoff teams, I've got just under 25. So 24.9, if you want to use that as sort of a, a gauge of neutral field, just they are what they are. Expect 24.9 kind of points. Um, I've got Baltimore at 30.2, San Francisco at 29.5. And then there's like a point and a half gap down to the Cowboys. And again, a power rating or a number, you know, numbers are numbers. And I base all the bets off of these things. But you do put it this way. The the subjective part for me is far less improving someone. It's more about taking someone down. So maybe I won't be making wagers based on subjective kind of things. Objectively, I think it's those two head and shoulders above everyone else. And then beyond that. Dallas has actually kind of separated themselves. I got them a point and a half better than Buffalo, and then everybody else just throw them up, and however they fall is how they fall. But um, when you've got a game like Philadelphia and, and Tampa, they're both well below average. I've got Philly at 23.1. I've got Tampa at 21.6. Then this is neutral field, no nothing. Um, and that's also not factoring in some other pieces I don't need to get into. It's too late for that. But point being, I, I think you've got a lot of mediocrity. 
And I think when you've got a lot of mediocrity, it kind of lends itself. Think of low-level claimers. When you've got a lot of decent horses, just kind of meh, crazy results happen. I think that's kind of what you're going to have for the majority of these games until the big boys show up next week. I love it, man. Like I said, we, the analysis is great as always. And obviously people will find you on FanDuel TV covering South Florida for the foreseeable future until that Gulfstream meet ends. But um, obviously they'll be following along with your picks as well come this weekend. Like I said, Matt, thanks again so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. And um, I said, sorry to keep you up towards 1030 as I know you got a long day tomorrow. But um, look, I, I still have I have races to go over for tomorrow afternoon down at uh, at Old Gulfstream. So I was going to be up anyway. I appreciate the time, guys. Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Thank Matt. You. Thanks a lot, man. And thanks. Talk to you later. See ya. That was Matt Bernier, guys. Of course, as many of you know, um, just a fantastic guy. And we really appreciate him coming on as we kept touching on. But um there's another man that's going to come back in the. I see him in the. I, we'll leave him in the background, but the the man has finally arrived from the New York traffic. But we'll leave him in the background. But Charlie, I want to touch just real quick to final thoughts. I know you wanted to touch on your um, all the coaching crap that went on, um, but real quick, I want to thank everyone in there uh, out there that's watching this has been watching the entire time. We've had pretty good viewership throughout the whole thing, so thank you guys so much. We really appreciate it when we had Matt on. I want, you know, we wanted to have that. It's a, it's a really good guest for us, and he's a very astute person, not only in horses but in sports as well. So we, again, we really thank him for coming on. Charlie, final thoughts again, real quick, but we'll run through. I mean, Saban retired. Uh, Vrabel got fired, which I know you and I talked about. Like that's the, the asinine. Um, and there's a bunch of other uh, firings that we expected, but. Um, Charlie, and I'll throw it to you, Know anything you want to add up before we end the show? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll just start with college and then do all the NFL. I mean, I talked about it with you guys a little in the chat. I think the Nick Saban, you know, retirement makes a lot of sense, actually. I mean, people forget he's getting old. I mean, he's won, what, six, seven national championships. I think it was six national championships, which is ridiculous. I saw a, a post on ESPN's Instagram about how, like, no one in whatever his last blank amount of classes uh, went without winning a national championship, which is just ridiculous. I mean, he's the greatest college football coach of all time. Uh, I think with all the NIL changes, the new playoff, the new conferences, all this stuff that's just changing and where it's kind of just becoming like NFL free agency and going away from the college football, he knows. I think he kind of picked the perfect, but again, well-deserved time to retire. I mean, I think it's completely justified. I don't think anybody who wants to hate on him and take the angle of, oh, he's running from a fight or Georgia or this and that. I think the reality is you give the man his flowers. He's been unbelievable. And, if, you know, any coach has like a time that's reasonable to retire. I think he's been long overdue because he's done more than enough for the sport. But I respect him for wanting to stick around as long as he has. I think he did a great job with a not good Alabama this team this year just to get him as far as he did. NFL-wise, I mean, I think the Mike Vrabel firing is extremely stupid. I'll just be blunt. I think they would have. I don't think he should have stayed there. I think he, they were holding him back. He had a bottom five roster, uh, and they still played hard for him in a game that didn't matter. But I think they would have been better off trying to trade him. Their owner claimed uh, the reason that they didn't trade him is because of the fact that they wanted to be able to start their head coaching search right away. Uh, again, I don't really get that. I think especially with the Patriots probably trying to go after him, I think they would have been better off trying to trade him in New England. I think Belichick will leave and maybe go to the Chargers. I think that fit makes a ton of sense. I've been seeing that. Obviously, Pete Carroll stepped down. I, I have no issue with the Seahawks wanting to move on from him. I think he's a great, but I think, look, the guy's, what, like 73. I think it's time for him to move on and be an advisor for them like uh, Tom had touched on. I think it's the right time for him to do that. Uh, I did also just get a text from Patrick, actually, in our chat that the Bears have requested to interview uh, Shane Waldron, who's the offensive coordinator from the Seahawks. That's my top candidate on the whole market for coordinators, offense or defense. I'm hoping he doesn't get a head coaching job. 
So if, uh, you know, because I, I know Ben Johnson's better than him, but he'll definitely get a head coaching job. So if the Bears could land him, I think that'd be tremendous for Fields or Caleb Williams. Obviously, I'm hoping it's Fields. I liked a lot of what I heard. I think them keeping Ibraflus is another good thing to indicate that. Uh, then, yeah, the last thing I'll just touch on real quick is the Bears' decisions. I'm fine with the keeping Ibraflus. I'd like him to be the defense coordinator, but I know he would never take that demotion. He did have the guys playing. He has the good culture in the locker room. Don't love keeping him. I know a lot of people are upset about it, but I also don't hate it because we don't know who we would have hired. Getsy being gone is unbelievable. He's an op. He worked for Green Bay the entire time. He was a double oh agent. God. I will not believe otherwise. He's the worst coach I've ever seen. And I just want to say one shout out to Luke Getsy for, you know, just going out no other better way than by calling a screen on third and 22 when you need to get closer to the sticks to give yourself a chance to win the game. And he goes with a third and 22 screen that even the Packers knew, you know, it would make no sense to call. They still read that it was a screen. And I also want to give him one off. Sundolph for screwing my Saints neck in the playoffs by calling two straight screens against the Buccaneers to help the Bears lose that as well. So, yeah, bye, Getsy. Don't let the debate you on the back, Bozo. I'm so happy he's gone. And I'm upset there's no playoff team like the Minnesota Vikings that I can rip on and be correct. That's everything I had to say. Oh, and Fields is QB1. Deal with it. Argue with the wall. Christ's sake. Well, Poles did did say in an interview that um, he believes Justin can lead the team. So take that with what you will. But, guys, we've gone long enough today, and I wanted to – Again, we've had a lot of sports, but a lot and some decent, some good horse racing as well. But um, thank you guys so much for watching the entire way. We've had some good, like I said, we had good viewership the whole way through for the hour and a half show. So we just really appreciate you guys keeping on. For my co-host, Noah Maher and Charlie Freeman, this has been your host, Kyle Roscoe, in episode number 56 of Betting and Boozing here on the HHH Racing Podcast. And until next time, everybody, crush those bets, win those photos, and stay safe. Have a great night, everyone.